Amen. If you have a Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. We're in a series called Grace Habits. We've talked about why uh, it's important to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about how important it is to pay attention to the Word of God. We've talked about the importance of prayer. Today we turn our attention to the importance of fellowship with the Lord's church. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. If you have your Bibles open there, I want you to stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. The author of Hebrews writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, I pray that we would see the priority of fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And O God, I pray that as we hear your word preached today, you would open our hearts and minds to be changed by it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We are in the midst of what many are calling the great de-churching. According to Jim Davis and Michael Graham, the research they've done, and I quote, we are currently experiencing the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of our country. Now you stop and think about some of the religious shifts that have happened in American history. We've had not one, but two great awakenings. And so uh, they're saying this is, even counting the what we would see as positive shifts in religious American history, the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of our country. About 40 million, this is quoting them, about 40 million adults in America used to go to church but no longer do. I want you to think about this for just a moment. 40 million adults in America used to go to church, but no longer do. Now, we kind of think about it oftentimes, I think, in ways that make us feel a little bit better about ourselves. We say things like, this next generation just doesn't want to go to church. Uh, These young people, just don't want to go to church. One of these days, these people, the way they're being raised, they're not going to want to go to church anymore. Um, And I understand that, and certainly we do have some generational realities that we have to deal with. But what this is saying is not that this is a problem that we need to be anticipating, but this is a problem that is currently happening among adults. 
Not that young people are not going to go to church, but that currently adult people are dropping out of church. These are people who went to church, but who have chosen not to go anymore. That's 16% of the adult population of the United States of America used to go to church, but doesn't anymore. Now, I'm not going to begin the process of prognosticating about why and how this has happened. There's Depending on uh, what book somebody wants to sell or what conference they want to be invited to speak to, there's all sorts of different prognostications about how and why this is happening and what we should do to fix it. What's amazing about this, though, and what I will say about this, is that many of these folks still identify as Christians. They still believe the gospel's true. They still believe in the Trinity. They still believe in the resurrection. They've just quit going to church. Today, I want to preach on why it's important to go to church. Now, I understand when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. You know what I mean? Everybody's like, really? The pastor wants people to come to church. Imagine that. Let me just say, I'm not just looking for people to preach to. I have literally preached in this room when it was empty. So uh, I'll keep preaching whether y'all are here or not. You know what I mean? We'll find a way to do it. I love for you to be here. It is a joy to preach to a crowd, but I'm not just looking for people to preach to. Um, Let me just say, it took me some time growing up. When I was the age of these guys and girls over here sitting in the pew in our student section here, uh, I didn't really understand why church mattered. I didn't really hate it. I didn't really love it. I was sort of ambivalent about church. It took me time. It took time. When I went to college, I would bounce around to different college ministries for my first year. Uh, after I'd transferred down to the University of Mobile, I would bounce around to different college ministries and be involved in campus ministries and go to Bible studies and go to these different things. But I hadn't really settled in on a church. I want to tell you that during that time, I began to read books and articles that started explaining why it was important for a young man, 19 years old, to be involved, not just in a college ministry, not just in a Bible study, not just in a campus ministry, not just a student at a Christian college studying theology, but why it was important for a young man of 19, single and everything else, to be involved in the life of a local church. And not just the college ministry of a local church, but the broader life of a local church. I'm going to read that, and then my second year, my junior year of college, my life was, tra- was totally changed. Because, Why? I mean, the course of my life was changed because I had recognized and come to learn and know the importance of a local church. And I joined a local church. I went to be a member of a local church called Dolphin Way Baptist Church and eventually became the pastoral intern there, eventually became uh, the college minister there. And the course of my life was changed. I fell in love with the local church. I, I fell in love with getting to know senior adults at church. I, I fell in love with seeing a church. Dolphin Way at that point had, had come out of years of decline and, and struggles and difficulties and was a growing, thriving, healthy church and an intentionally generational church. Stop and think about it. If I hadn't realized how important local church was, I wouldn't be here now. In other words, I'm not preaching this because I want more people to preach to. I'm preaching to you today because I believe this. I've given my life to the local church. I've committed and planted my life in the local church. Sold out 
uh, to give my life to serving and loving and preaching to the local church because I believe in the priority of Christian fellowship in the church for every believer in Christ. It's, it's not that I'm sitting here wondering if a great de-churching happens, how are we going to pay the bills? It's that I am so saddened to think that there would be believers who love Jesus and want to know Jesus more and who do not have the blessing of life in Christ's church. I want them to see it. I want them to know it. And that's what I want you to see and know as well. Christian fellowship in the local church is essential to your personal walk with Christ. This morning, I want to show you three truths to encourage you to prioritize fellowship in the local church. A committed walk with Christ, living life in the local church. Three truths this morning about the priority of Christian fellowship. It's one of the most important grace habits you'll have is going to church. I want to show you three truths this morning to help you develop that and understand the why and the how. Here's the first truth this morning. The first point is this. Prioritize fellowship because the gospel builds the church. Prioritize fellowship because the gospel builds the church. Let me phrase this point like this. If you believe the gospel's true, right? If you believe that Jesus is Lord, if you believe Jesus is who he said he is, if you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins, if you believe it's important for you to have a personal relationship, a personal walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, then you ought to prioritize fellowship in the Christian church. I remember when I was growing up, folks would love to say things like, just, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. This is when there would be this big emphasis on your personal walk with Jesus. Now, don't mishear me. I, I think it's so important to have a personal walk with Jesus. But that sort of thinking, I think, sort of over time denigrated the importance of being involved in the church and really sort of, sort of highlighted this kind of pioneer, lone wolf Christianity. It's just me and Jesus and, and my Bible sitting at home in the mornings, and that's all I really need. Well, that's sort of true unless the Bible's true. In which case, it says very clearly, you ought to gather together. Let me put it like this. Let me, let me, let me, let's, let's, let's dig into the text. Notice what he says in verse 19. Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. You read your Old Testament very much. You ought not to have confidence. Let me just tell you the last thing in the world you want to have. If you read the Old Testament, the last thing in the world you want to have is confidence to enter holy places. Okay? It's a bad, big mistake to just confidently sort of sashay up into a holy place. Start reading about the kind of rules and laws that go around the Holy of Holies. You ought not to just go sort of strutting up into a holy place. I'm getting ready to preach on 2 Samuel here in just a couple of weeks. We're going to kick off 2 Samuel. We got done last year with 1 Samuel. We're going to go through 2 Samuel. There's a little story that I've been reading about in 2 Samuel about Uzzah steadying the ark. You guys know about this? Uzzah was confident that the Lord would not want the ark to topple over. And so he sort of confidently entered a holy place and paid a dear price. But notice what the author of Hebrews is saying. He says, since we have confidence to enter holy places, what changed? What's the difference? 
How is it that we can enter into the presence of a holy God? Why is it that we would have no fear in walking into God's presence? Why is it that one day we will stand before the judgment seat of God, the great white throne of the Lord, the purity of God will be shining like the sun and we will not be consumed by it. Instead, we will be overjoyed at seeing and knowing God. How is it that that's the case? What has changed? We go there by the blood of Jesus. It's the shed blood of Christ. The difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is not a difference in God. It's a transition from a season when there was no cross to the season of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the difference. And so notice then that the preaching and receiving of the gospel, it builds the true church. And in doing so, notice what the gospel does. It gives us confidence, verses 19 and 20, to enter into holy places by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. You see it. By the new and living way, verse 20, that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Do you understand what the Old Testament teaches about the temple? The Old Testament teaches that the temple is where heaven and earth meet. That the tabernacle, this holy of holies, is where heaven and earth meet. And as a picture of that reality, there's a curtain in the temple that separates the holy of holies from the other places. And it's on the other side of that curtain that the presence of God fills. And it's right there that God's very presence dwells among man and heaven and earth are connected. In other words, it's a very real reality that the very presence of God in heaven is accurately reflected. It is there. It is in a very real way present in the temple. But notice what the author of Hebrews is telling us here. It says that through his, it says that we have entered by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is, the temple is no longer relevant when that curtain tore in two at the time that the Lord Jesus died. That was a symbol that the connection of heaven and earth is no longer a physical temple, but is instead what? The body of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, here the author of Hebrews directly identifies the flesh of Jesus with the curtain itself. No longer does heaven meet earth in a place. No longer does heaven meet earth for one specific people in one specific place at one given time. But instead now, heaven meets earth in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. See the beauty of this? It gives us confidence to enter the holy places because of what Jesus has done. We're given, verse 21 tells us, a great priest over the what? The house of God. That is all those people who have met heaven through the body of Jesus, through the work of Jesus. All of those people who have met God there now have him as their great priest and they have become a household, the Bible says. We're given a true heart in full assurance of faith. Man, isn't it amazing what a personal relationship with Jesus does for us? Confidence to enter holy places. What a beautiful thought that is. A great priest over the house of God. We don't need any man. We don't need any pastor to, to work between us and God. We have direct access to God. Uh, we have a true heart. We have full assurance of faith. Isn't it beautiful? All these things the gospel gives us perfectly and individually. But the author of Hebrews doesn't start there. stop there. He says, let us draw near, verse 22, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Man, I, I love what the author of Hebrews is doing here. The imagery just keeps coming at us. He, he doesn't slow down on the imagery. You'll probably remember in the sacrificial system, the way things were purified is they were sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice. And here he's showing the way our hearts have been sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been purified in our hearts. And then what does he say? He says something else has happened. Our bodies are washed with pure water. What else could he be talking about but baptism? An outward expression of the inward reality of the purity that we've experienced in our hearts. Our bodies are then washed with pure water. If you read some of the earliest Christian documents, it's very important to them that the, the baptism happens with clean, pure water because of the imagery that's represented there. Say moving water, cold water. They wanted it to be pure and, and good water. I want you to consider this for a moment then, what this implies. That what's happening in our hearts moves from something that just happens in our hearts to something that happens outwardly. Something you can see, something you can touch, something that's tangible. And in the same way, this picture of baptism is a reminder that all these things that the gospel does in our hearts are meant to lead us to the local church. That's where baptism happens in the New Testament. That's the understanding, by and large. That's the understanding, generally speaking, is that to be baptized is to enter into a local body of believers. Here's, here's what the author of Hebrews is telling these folks, and he's going to make this explicit here in just a moment, but he's telling them if you have been transformed in your heart, if the gospel has done the work in your heart, then you should go identify with other believers outwardly. Let me put it like this. When the gospel changes our hearts, God sends us to his church. That's what he does. Prioritize fellowship because the gospel builds the church. But second of all, you should prioritize fellowship to hold fast to the gospel. Prioritize fellowship to hold fast to the gospel. Now, let me ask you all this. You, you may have days where Christianity, your practice of your faith, comes easy. I do sometimes, you know. I'm just eager to follow Jesus. I'm just so happy to follow Jesus. I'm eager to read the Word. I'm eager to pray. And, you know, the quiet time just comes easy. But that's not every day. <laughs> that's not every day. There are days where I'm hanging on to faith with white knuckles. And there are days when I'm fighting temptation tooth and nail. I've not yet resisted, as the author of Hebrews reminds them, to the point of shedding blood. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes I felt close. I, I need some help. I need some encouragement. I want you to consider for a moment the way that fellowship will help you hold fast to the gospel. I'm not talking about easy days. It can just be you and Jesus on easy days. But on hard days, it's good to have a church. It's good to have fellowship. Notice what the author of Hebrews tells us in verse 23, chapter 10, verse 23, let us hold fast. Let us hold tightly, we're being told. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. I want to tell you one reason I think you need Christian fellowship. Because you need to be reminded of the truth that will help you hold fast to your confession without wavering. 
You've put your trust in Jesus. You've put your faith in Jesus. You're doing all you can to hold fast. And why are you doing that? Because he who promised is faithful. Raise your hand if you believe God makes promises. All right, now put them down if you think he doesn't keep them. All right, yeah, everybody, I saw a couple people misunderstand the directions. Had to throw it right back up. No, we believe God makes promises and we believe God keeps his promises, right? He who promised is faithful. There's not a soul in the room who's like, I think God's going to just give up on me one day. Right now. But I guarantee you, everyone in this room either has had or will have a moment where what you know in your mind doesn't match up with what you feel in your heart. You ever been there before? My mind says, he who promises faithful, but my heart right now says, I don't know if I can trust him anymore. I don't think he's abandoned me. I don't think he's listening to me. I don't think he can hear me. I don't think I can hang on much longer. My friends, you need to be reminded that he who promised is faithful. And I want to tell you, all of hell is at work against you believing that truth. All of hell is against you feeling that truth, living according to that truth. I've told y'all this before, but I, I want you to know this. One reason why Christian fellowship it should be such a priority for believers is because the devil repeats his lies. It's happened so many times where I'm in my study with sometimes, sometimes two or three people in the course of one week, and I'll hear them saying almost identical things that aren't true or feeling identical ways. And I think, man, the devil repeats his lies. I think it's so good that they're coming to me because I can say, listen, I'm hearing this a lot. This is normal. You're not alone. And he who promised is faithful. There have been times I've been so thankful to be reminded by another believer that Satan is a liar. Almost everything I say in pastoral counseling in my study begins with this little phrase. I know you know this already. <laughs> I know you know this already, but hear the word of the Lord. I could really say that in every sermon, couldn't I? I know you know this already. I know you know that you need to go to church already, but I, I know you know this, but be reminded of it. Hear it in your heart. And it's so important to hear these truths from other believers. I have been inspired to hold fast to the gospel by hearing a faithful Christian speak truth to me, even truth I already knew. But hearing it spoken to me was life-giving. Some of the best moments I've ever had are from lay people who have spoken the truth to me, and they usually do it with, with a little bit of temerity because I'm a pastor, and they're like, I know you're a pastor, I know you know this already, and I'm thinking, I need to hear this as much as anyone needs to hear this. If I'm going to hold fast to Jesus, I need to be reminded of the truth. I need to have the truth spoken to my heart. In the, some of the worst days for me of the season where COVID was the most intense here, we had lost um, some dear friends and believers here in this church and just people that were very close to Whitney and I, we had lost them. And um, I wasn't doing so great, you know, emotionally and spiritually. I was kind of struggling a little bit and... Uh, I remember coming into church one Sunday morning, and I thought, I just don't know if I can sing today. I just don't know if I can worship like I need to. I just couldn't do it. I just, it was too emotional and too raw. But I was here, and I'll never forget, I had a moment sitting right down here. Um, we used to sit over here, but then we moved during COVID over here. We've never moved back. 
Um, it's because we're Baptists, and uh, once you make a decision, it's done, you know? I couldn't sing. I was crying. I was emotional. And I'll never forget the feeling I had that morning of hearing you sing. Hearing y'all sing. And I thought, he who promised is faithful. I will build my church, the Lord Jesus said. When I couldn't sing, you sang for me. And you know what you were doing in those moments, right? Singing the gospel to me. Every Sunday morning, someone comes in here weary, tired, sick of it, (laughs) struggling. Will you sing to them when they can't sing? Prioritize fellowship to help you hold fast to Jesus. And finally, prioritize fellowship for the sake of gospel fruitfulness. I love verses 24 and 25 of this passage. One of my favorite couple of verses in the whole Bible. And let us consider how to stir up one another. Now this is kind of a dangerous thing for a pastor to say. Usually I'm trying to get y'all not to stir each other up. If y'all could just stay calm, I'd appreciate it. But let's consider how to get each other stirred up. What does he say? To stir up one another to love and to good works. Uh, This is one of the reasons, I think, why the New Testament is so adamantly opposed to gossip. Because gossip, what does gossip really do? It's trying to stir people up. But it's stirring folks up to the wrong thing. Divisiveness, anger, maliciousness, those sorts of things. We're going and kind of get little groups to get mad and get angry and come up with something to do or make this change happen. All this kind of stuff being done in the flesh. We're stirring one another up. But for the wrong thing. We're hijacking a biblical system when we do those things. And I thank God for the peace and unity that we have in this church. Thank we don't have that sort of thing going on. But these are the church is so adamant against it because it is designed, the church is designed to have people going out and getting pockets together and trying to get them stirred up. But they're trying to be stirred up. We're supposed to be stirring one another up to love and to good works. To love and to good works. I want you to know it's hard to stir one another up to love and good works if you're neglecting meeting together. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing, drawing near. It's hard to love from a distance. It's hard to love from a distance. Whitney and I, when we were engaged, we were in a long-distance relationship. I lived in Mobile. She lived in Tuscaloosa. We loved each other, but I'm going to tell you what we did. We got together as soon as we could. I thought I was going to drive her mom crazy, so I kept moving up the wed- kept trying to move up the wedding day. Succeeded. I kept saying, I said tried to. Like, no, we moved it up. Got it closer. We ready to, ready to move in. We want to be closer to you. We want to love one another. We want to be closer to each other. It's hard to love from a distance, is it not? It's hard to walk in holiness and good works alone without someone to help you. It just becomes normal when you're around folks that don't care about holiness. It's not being holy becomes normal. When you're around people that care about holiness, holiness becomes normal. It's hard to encourage one another if you aren't together. My friends, I I want to encourage you to prioritize fellowship for the sake of gospel fruitfulness. 
I'll tell you something I've noticed in the world today. It's an easy time to be fearful. Nathan talked about how divided the world is earlier, and a lot of those divisions really center around fear. Fear the other, fear the future, fear of all kinds of different things. Christians sometimes incorporate sort of end times theology into being more and more afraid somehow. Doesn't this seem like the end times? Doesn't this seem like things are getting worse? Doesn't this seem like things are getting worse and worse and worse? I want you to notice what the author of Hebrews says here at the end. Encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's an easy time to be fearful. It's an easy time to wonder whether or not Jesus is coming back soon. I see the day drawing near. Every day we get a little bit closer to our deliverance. Don't be afraid of Jesus coming back. Be encouraged by it. As we see the day drawing near, though, let's not give in to fear. Let's not give in to trying to figure out when it's going to happen. Let's not press into any of those sorts of things. Instead, let's lean into Christian fellowship. If the TV's making you afraid, turn off the TV and go to church. Uh, go, turn off the TV and go to Bible study. If you're going to a Bible study and all they ever talk about is stuff that ought to make you more afraid, find a different Bible study. We don't, now is not the time to lean into fear. Now is the time to lean into Christian fellowship so that we can remind each other to be sober-minded, to not be fearful, to lean into Jesus. Brothers and sisters, in the world that we live in, there will be nothing that we can provide that is more countercultural and more attractive than a community across all barriers and across all lines that is marked by love and unity. There's nothing we can provide that's better. We, we cannot simply give people more of what the world offers. We must give them the gospel. Now is not the time to de-church. Now is the time to go all in on the priority of Christian fellowship. The, the gospel continues. The preaching of the gospel, the word and the spirit continue to build the church. Christ continues to be Lord of his church as he builds it. We must continue to hold fast to the gospel. To whom else will we go but to Jesus? And in a time of fearfulness and even as the day draws near, now is not the time to go into our bunkers and to, to buy supplies of food from televangelists. Instead, now is the time for us to go out into the world and to be ever more gospel fruitful. And we must have one another if we are to do it. First Baptist. Let's keep stirring each other up to love and good works as we make Christian fellowship a priority. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want you to know um, if you will turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus, I, I really believe you will be saved. It's what the Bible teaches and I believe it's what the Lord says is true, and I believe it will happen even now. If you want to pray to the Lord, if you want someone to talk to, if you want to do so right here at this altar, but you can do it right where you are today. Turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus. You will be saved. Second of all, you may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I just want to pray for me or you have business to do with the Lord. Right where you are, down here at the altar, grab a friend, bring him down here with you. If you need someone to pray for you, you come to me. I'll pray for you this morning. If you just need someone to talk to, this altar is open for you. Finally, you may be looking for a church home. Man, what a joy it would be for me today uh, to talk to you about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist Church. Or 
if the Lord's so moved in your heart and you're ready to make, take the plunge to, to, for us to all rejoice with your desire to be a member here, after this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together.